Friends, as you can see, foundations of our faith, and uh, we're going to be looking at the patriarchs. Um, in terms of what patriarchs are, someone asked me this morning, do you know the definition of a patriarch? I'm going, I haven't really thought about it. I think patri has something to do with father. Our forefathers, those that have gone before us, those that have set the, um, set the example for all those that follow. And looking through the patriarchs, uh, and these are the founding fathers of the Israel people, the Jewish nation, um, Today, there are no, in, in the message, where we're starting, there are no Israel people, there are no Jewish people. This is before all of that uh, nation began. So this is the very first person that God really called to begin his process of salvation. And we're going to look at his son and, their grand, and his grandson and great-grandson, and who set the, the foundation for us for what we have today. Uh, we're going to find out that they are not perfect. Sorry, if you thought all of these guys in the Bible were perfect, yeah, I can't find anyone except for Jesus. Uh, they all have flaws, they're all human, and uh, it gives us hope that God can use us too, because, you know, sometimes we feel we're not good enough. Well, none of these people were either. And so God's the one that accomplishes His work through us. Uh, I just have to, I want to say something before I start into the message. It's... Um, we were singing that last song, last song, Here's My Heart, Lord, Here's My Life, Lord. You know, I've realized over the years, I used to be a worship leader myself, uh, you can sing songs in church, and it's nice just to sing songs. We've got live band and everything, you know, you know it's not like the radio, you get, this, is, this, is, this is for real, every, every service we have, and uh, you can sing the songs, but... And you can say, well, that's a bit repetitive, Here's My Heart, Lord, Here's My Heart, Lord, Here's My Heart, Lord, Here's My Heart, Lord, Here's My... It's like... But then it strikes me that we're not just singing songs here, right? We're stepping in front of Jesus. We're talking to him. And when we say those words, it's an offering. It's a prayer. Here's my heart, Jesus. Here's, I want to offer again to you my life. And if you are just singing a song here, you kind of missed the point of worship. If you came here to sing to Jesus to offer again your life, your heart, for him and his purposes, then you got it. You understand what this is all about. It's not just religious activity. It's a relationship with the living God. And this living God is what intersects a fellow's life this morning in our passage in the book of Genesis. He, he intersects a guy that had no clue that he was about to be one of the key figures in history for a number of reasons. We'll look at that along the way. Uh, so, I'm actually taking a slow walk through Genesis, uh, beginning in uh, chapter 11, and uh, this is where we're introduced to a primary character that started the whole thing. So as we enter into this new series, would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you, God, for this day, for this moment that you are here, that you saw people's hearts this morning singing to you, that you heard their prayer that you see what's going on in their life, you see the challenges they're facing, you see the times we succeeded, the times we failed this week, uh, you see us. And Father, thank you that you love us anyway, and that you sent a son to die for us, that we would have eternal life if we, just, if we place our faith in him and understand he has a plan for our life. Father God, as we look at Abram slash Abraham, uh, I pray that you would open our eyes, not just to a biblical character, but to your activity among people. It's my prayer in Christ's name. Amen. 
So aside from Moses, no Old Testament character is mentioned more times in the New Testament than Abraham. The book of James, James calls Abraham a friend of God or God's friend. No one else in the whole Bible gets to be called God's friend except for Abram. Now, I, for those of you that are kind of new to the Bible, um, brand new to Christianity maybe, there's a, this fellow named Abram, and God changes his name at, at a point in his life to Abraham. And so we talk about the children of Abraham or Father Abraham. Starts off as Abram, a no-name guy, no, no real uh, impact. He's just a guy that God is going to pick for his purposes. So, but through his obedience, through his faith, we see a whole nation form. So the reason believers in all generations are called children of Abraham in Galatians chapter 3, 7, is because we have uh, the same kind of faith in the same God that Abram had faith in. He was the prototype for believers. God came to him, spoke to him, asked him to do something outrageous. He said, okay, <laughs> I'm game. Let's see what happens. He follows God, and, and the world is transformed because of his faith. We want to have the same kind of relationship Abram had with God because we want the same kind of things to happen through our life as God interacts us with us and helps us and calls us and empowers us to do his will. So when we first meet, and I will call him Abram and Abraham interchangeably just because I won't be consistent, I'll get mixed up, I didn't have enough coffee today, it'll be okay, we'll get through it. So when we first meet Abram, he's actually 75 years old. How many of you are 75 plus here in the church? Lift your hands high, proud, yeah, you know? Are you ready for God to make a nation from you? Yeah, that was his assignment, right? That's not our assignment. And God has assignments for every person in his kingdom. But Abram had a unique assignment that was to never be repeated. So Genesis eleven twenty eight records that Abraham's father, his name was Terah, and uh, he lived in the city of Ur, an influential city in, the, in southern Mesopotamia, situated on the Euphrates River, about halfway between the head of the Persian Gulf and the modern-day city of Baghdad. We also learn that Terah took his family out of Ur and moved uh, on the ancient trade route uh, from uh, Babylonia, about halfway between Nineveh and Damascus. It's about 24 miles south of the Turkish city of Urfa. And... Um, Moved up to Haran. I think, I don't know if we have a map in here yet or not. There we go. So you can see uh, the, the, the um, Mesopotamia is kind of in the, the bottom, the, the right quadrant. It's, it's got a couple of rivers, Tigris and Euphrates that run through it, and they often would flood. And so the flooding of the, those two rivers in that particular region made it extremely fertile. It was a bountiful area, it was the cradle of civilization. Many, uh, many amazing kings and kingdoms were formed in this area. And so God is saying to Abram, you got to leave it. It's like, no. It's like, okay, just, just kind of pretend and don't get offended at me. But pretend like the Mesopotamia is British Columbia. I mean, they call us the green, green province. Uh, you can't look outside and see much green right now. You know, it does snow. But it says, head east. 
and I'll tell you when to stop. So you're leaving everything that's comfortable, everything you know, your homeland, where you grew up, uh, maybe relatives and, and all that, and, and you pack everything up, you get the U-Haul, you, you get in the truck, and you just start headed into the mountains, not really knowing when you're going to have to stop. That's what Abraham was doing. So his dad actually takes him from Ur, which was a, a major city, um, and uh, he gets as far as Haran, which is in the northern, kind of the northern spot. I think I've got it circled there. It says Charan there. Uh, maybe it's one of those, um, those sounds that you can make from your throat that I won't do because you think I'm clearing it or something. But he mo- makes it that far, and then he dies. Now, Abram's got a problem. He's used to depend on dad for everything. Dad was in charge. Dad had lots of stuff. Dad had the servants. Dad had it all figured out. Whatever dad said is go. He was the patriarch of the family. He was the guy in charge, and now he's gone. So what has God done? He's taken him out of his homeland, away from everything familiar, moved him up to where he doesn't even know where he's going, and now his dad's gone. He becomes the head of the family. It's up to him to take the kids, the grandkids. Who He doesn't actually have any kids yet. That's the whole point of this story. He, he takes all of the servants. Actually, it says he had like 300 uh, soldiers, trained men of war in his, in his group. So he wasn't poor by any means. But his, his manner of life was described as, as semi-nomadic, uh, similar to those living today in the border communities that fringe around the Syrian and Ab- Arabian deserts. Now, Kim and I uh, actually had a chance to go to Qatar uh, some years ago. We spoke in an international church there, and we, we did a little bit of um, sand dune, not buggies, but we had these uh, Toyota Land Cruisers. Uh, there's another slide coming up somewhere in there. Let's see if we can go back to that. There we go. So you know, we did not ride the camel. I just took a picture of them saying, yeah, I was here. <laughs> and... Uh, we did, we did stay, uh, we had lunch in some Bedouin tents along the Arabian Peninsula. We got to see the Arabian Sea. It got sort of a feeling for the area that all of this began. Now, in Abram's day, it was a lot more fertile, a lot more greenery, a lot more lush vegetation. But he was on the fringes of deserts. He was in, around in these areas. So uh, at this time in the Middle East, the head of the family was seen as the chieftain of the tribe. And the patriarch who made all the decisions for the family. So Canaan, the land where Abram was to live, was uh, composed of many city-states with petty kings that sought to make political alliances for protection and and mutual benefit. So at this time when when Abram was headed towards Canaan, it was was kind of like Germany before reunification or Italy before unification. They all had these, these, these rulers, these chieftains, these princes that ruled their area. But they hadn't been grouped into um, actual nations yet. So when Abram arrived, he was going to be, he, was, he made a scene. Can you imagine a guy that had 300 soldiers within his ranks, lots of sheep and goats and servants and all of that? When he came, you either made an alliance with them or you were an enemy with them. There's no in between because you couldn't trust a guy that wouldn't make a deal um, and you got to be ready for a guy that's going to attack. So everyone was always kind of nervous about the new kid in town, and he came in in a big way, set up his tents. And uh, in terms of big 
big superpowers. Egypt was the only superpower of the day, but it was, Egypt was down south and to the west and didn't mess with these smaller city-states uh, at this point. Looking at Abram's life and his situation, one would think he had it all, but the one thing he didn't have was kids. Had no children. He had no one to leave all of his stuff to. He had no heir to inherit his great wealth, and even though he had a nephew named Lot, in a conversation with God, we read that Abraham, uh, he mentions the one set to inherit everything. It was his trusted servant, Eleazar, a native of Damascus. So let's, let's set the scene here, uh, Genesis 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 26. Let's read a little bit to uh, verse 32, just to see what we're talking about. Verse 26, Terah, he lived 70 years, and he fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, as we said, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. We don't know what happened to Haran, but Lot follows with Abram. Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram took Nahor, uh, and Abram took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was without children, that she was barren. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and he went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and lived there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Sometimes we forget that God does his work right in the middle of human history. We can read the Bible and just think it's, it's kind of out of place. We have all these accounts and stories in the Bible, but we don't realize that the world was going on at the same time. So we... The, the, the level of detail that we get with, with Abram's story, though, is remarkable. If you're just going to tell a story for, this, for having fun, you don't go into a lot of detail about city-states, about rulers, uh, names and places. You just kind of gloss over all of that. But in this particular case, we see the telltale evidence that Abraham was actually a historical figure who lived and breathed his nomadic life at a very interesting time in history. It was during the Bronze Age, you all remember that in history, Bronze Age turned into Iron Age, turned into nuclear physicists. No, it's not quite that quick. But during this time, here's a ziggurat of, of Ur. This is what was going on uh, in the city likely where Abram left. 4,000 years before, we can place the birth of Abraham with some degree of confidence between 2100 and 1800 BC, which would be the Middle Bronze Age about 3,700 B.C. to 500. Bronze is made from combining, you know, copper and tin. And once this method was discovered, everything started to be made of copper and tin, of bronze. The weapons were used, made from stone were replaced by this new metal alloy. So this Bronze Age civilization of the Near East, or perhaps known for the rich culture and innovative uh, inventions, the ancient Sumerians you've heard about, uh, were perhaps the oldest and the best known among the Bronze Age civilizations of Mesopotamia. Uh, not only was the ancient Samaria the earliest society to be based on religion and political administration, they also invented wheels and boats and ships. So lots of stuff was going on during this time when Abram was called into service. The great king Sargon 
of Akkad conquered all the other tribes in this fertile crescent of Mesopotamia. Sargon was the first one to actually have an empire. That's how new things were. They, they had all these little city-states and rulers and princes and petty kings. He says, yeah, enough of this. I'm just going to take over everything. So Sargon was formidable, and he was the first person to have his own empire. Uh, the famous Babylonian king Hammurabi, who developed laws uh, some 300 years after Abraham, uh, he was the first to introduce written laws, the Code of Hammurabi. I studied that in uh, ancient civilizations myself. So Mesopotamia was a giant floodplain, and everybody liked it. Uh, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, and now the Muslims, they have all taken turns owning this whole area and ruling that area. But it was not the land that God wanted for Abram and his people. He had another land in mind. And Abraham had to leave this vast civilization and commerce and go west. So this tumultuous, tumultuous place is where the Jewish history begins. At the bottom of the Tigris and Euphrates River and the cradle of civilization. Um, so he was, he was moved from that to a strange place that's still in between the three major continents, right? It's you got Europe, and you got Asia, and you got Africa, all coming together right here where God is about to, to tell Abram, uh, this is where I want you to, to, to live. It's a logical place for Abram to appear because from this Palestinian area that, where the Israel nation is, you can go to all the continents and take the gospel message. It was God's plan one day to, to, to form a nation out of Abraham, to, to bring a Messiah out of the, the people and to, to send the good news all around the world, but not yet. So it was an important uh, moment when Abraham's father passed away. And this story uh, is, is remarkable in the fact that God comes to a man and he says, Abram, got a job for you. I think it would be terrifying, frankly, not many people get to have God come and talk to them directly like that and give them a plan. And, and what, what amazes me right off the bat is Abram believes God. Sometimes God draws people to himself who have no family background of going into church, no real knowledge of him. He comes to people and he says, I want to be a part of your life. He invites them into a relationship. They, their, their dad, their, their mom, their, their relatives, none of them went to church. But he, he picks somebody and says, you and I, we're going, to have a, we're going to have a wonderful journey together. That's what I see with Abraham. It was an important moment for him to, to, to realize that he doesn't have a, a father, he's left his homeland, but now God is taking over. As soon as we hear this story that, that Abraham's father passes away, God steps in and reminds him, I'm going to be your father. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be the one directing you and protecting you and guiding you for the rest of your life. Sometimes God allows the stabilizers in our life to be removed so that we will depend on him only. It might have been necessary for Terah to pass away so that Abram would have, because he would have had to confer with his dad. Dad, do you think I should do this? But now he didn't have that deterrent to following God. So God intervenes just at the right moment in Abram's life. In a decisive moment, where he was literally at a crossroads, physically and metaphorically, in his life. The other thing I noticed is that Abram acted immediately. His dad kind of took him halfway, but Abram had to go the rest of the way. 
He had to get to the promised land. So he acted immediately in faith. No debate, no negotiations. Moses, you know, God sent somebody else. Gideon says, uh, okay, God, if this is really you, I'm going to test you. I'm going to put a fleece on the ground and make it the dew on it and never, ever well. So it's like there's several people that negotiate with God that are trying to work this out or say, I'm not the guy you want. We don't have any arguing from Abram. He just says, okay, and moves his whole family. When God spoke, people knew it was God speaking to them. People knew clearly what God said to them, and people knew exactly what they were supposed to do next. Abram didn't have any questions. He just knew he had to get going, pack up, everybody get the tents put together, get the flocks together, we're heading out. And where? I don't know. God's going to show us. So Abram's decision and his obedience resounded throughout eternity. His act of obedience impacted us. It became a standard for God's people from that point forward. When God speaks, you got to obey. If you want to, to have the consequences of obedience, you got to move. you got to leave where you are. Genesis 6, 18. Uh, God says, I will establish my own covenant with you, and you are to enter the ark. Uh, this is a, with, with Noah. He comes to Noah, and he spoke very clearly. I, I'm going to establish my own covenant with you. And you are to enter the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives. You are to bring two of every living thing to the ark so that they may remain alive with you. They are to be male and female. And then he says, take some of the edible food and store it away. Noah did this, it says, precisely as God commanded. Another person that just didn't argue with God, obeyed what he had to say to the letter and saved his family. Abram, same way, didn't argue with God, obeyed what God said and, and gave his family the one that's to be an incredible journey. So it's not really a story of a man named Abraham who followed God, but a story about God who chose to work through a man named Abram. So when God is looking for someone to choose for his purposes, he's looking at the heart. I expect Abram's heart was ready. It was ready, it was moldable. He was at a sensitive point in his life, and God stepped in and gave him direction. He's looking for a certain kind of faith, one that could be counted on as righteous, one that would result in unquestioning obedience. So in the fullness of time, is this, this, ver, this, this phrase in the Bible, the fullness of time, God chose Abram. When it was the right moment, God chose Abram to start the ball rolling. Genesis 12, God said this, to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you great. And I will just, just focus a little bit on the, the I wills in this passage. Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3. How many times does God say, I will? The Lord said, Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed because of you. In the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 11, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go into a place which he was afterward going to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he went. I'm thinking if God called me and said, Tom, get in your car and just start driving. <laughs> 
can I have like a GPS, get a little detailed roadmap? Where am I going to get gas along the way? Should I plan to stop for lunch somewhere? What should I be taking, my ski gear, or should I be taking my shorts for Bahamas? Like, I don't, what do I pack? I would like a lot more details. Abram didn't seem to have to know. He, he seemed to have such an encounter with God that he was, it was so sure that God was leading him, he didn't ask any questions. He just packed everything, and he left. Our faith has to be put into action. We have to step forward by doing what scares us, not knowing exactly what lies ahead. So I, I won't quote this probably again for the rest of the year, but going back to Christmas time, uh, how many of you watch The Grinch? Yeah, okay. Here's a quote. Well, in Whoville, they say, the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day, and then the true meaning of Christmas came through. The Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. Uh, in the Grinch story, when he finally realizes the truth about the meaning of Christmas, it says, and, and it's a really nice depiction, it just, his heart grew three sizes that day. And I look at Abraham's life, and the moment he decided to obey, the moment he got God's instructions, the moment he, he took that first step forward into a land he didn't know where he was going to, his faith grew three sizes that day. He went deeper with his relationship with God and his understanding of God. His faith grew exponentially because now he gets to see what happens to a, a, a believer when God gets to have control of his life. We, we will face greater challenges once we step forward into our, our moment of obedience to God. We will see God do amazing things, and what we do from that point on is always based on what he's done in the past. We can go here because we've seen him do this. We can go there because we've seen him help us already in his past. So a couple of impressions from this particular passage. One, um, get out of your country, leave your family from your father's house to a land I'll show you. I don't know if you've been challenged by God in the past to leave your family, to leave your home, to step out in faith, to leave all that's familiar, to go and trust that God is going to be your all in all. Sometimes that's what God asks you to do, to put on your big boy pants, to step up to the future designed by you for God. If Abraham was willing to enter into this agreement, there were certain things God was going to do. It was like, you do this, Abraham, and I'm going to do everything else. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. His tribe was going to be the most influential in the world. And in fact, three major religions are based on Abraham's faith. We've got the Muslims, the Jews, and the Christians are all based on this man's faith and obedience to God. God is going to make his name famous. We know it today. And he will be a blessing. Through his lineage, through his, the people that would come after him, we would finally find a Messiah, a Christ, Jesus, because Abraham said yes. So three points of application here. First of all, God is looking for a ready heart. He's looking at your heart to see if he can call you, if you would be faithful, if you're going to say yes. It's not going to be easy when God calls. In fact, it's going to require great faith. It's going to require some sacrifice. When God calls, he's going to push you to your limit. Outside of your ability, your understanding, and your self-sufficiency, so that you have to depend on him. Second, God is going to take the initiative in carrying out his plans. God's coming to you. 
God has put things in your life already. He's, he's developed your character to the point where he can trust you, where he knows you're going to be faithful. He's going to step into your life. He's going to invite you to be a part of his kingdom activity, his kingdom work. But he's going to take over at some point. Go beyond your ability. Go beyond your, your uh, intellect. Go beyond your strength because we have to depend on him. And the third thing is that God will give grace for the journey. You know, I don't see any indication in here that, God, uh, that Abraham actually was praying to God. I don't think he knew who this God was. God hadn't yet revealed himself. To, he didn't, we don't know he's Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Nisi and, and all these other names that Moses got to find out about. This is way before that. This is before the, the Ten Commandments, before there was any scripture written down. This is Abraham starting the whole thing. He didn't even, God was just going to begin to reveal things to him about himself. I don't think Abraham was nicer or more deserving than anyone else. But Abraham had, Abraham had a heart for God. So that when God was ready to inaugurate his plan, he chose a person who was ready and prepared and willing. One of those sensitive moments in his life, God stepped into him. So where are you in your faith journey? These patriarchs we're looking at are all on a journey. None of them got to actually experience the promised land that was promised to Abraham. But they were all on a journey towards that, that, for all of their descendants to follow. Have you trusted God in all that he has called you to do? What about your finances? Some people say they can't afford to tithe their income. And I say, obedience brings blessing. Look at Abraham's life. We're going to study that. What about in your home? Are you the spiritual leader that God has called you to be? Are you setting the example in your own family of what it means to follow God, to have faith in God, to pray to God? Sometimes prayer is just absent in homes. In my home, I want my kids to see that I trust in God. When, th- when times are tough, let's, 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 let's call on God. Let's see what he's going to do about this. If we're, we're, we're facing a decision, let's ask for God's wisdom so that he gets the glory. He can step in and be a part of our, our family and our life. What about when you're with your buddies? Do you stand up for your faith or do you stay quiet to not draw attention to yourself? Is there a moment where you just don't want to be seen as a Christian and God's saying, this is your time to step up. This is your time to make a difference, to tell people who, who you stand for. There's a lot of things in our life that God calls us to, and we have a record of them in the scriptures that we can read for ourselves. But I think today, if you just bow your head, I'm going to ask that God would remind you in your own heart and your own life what it is he's, he's asking of you. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your involvement at church. Maybe it's stepping out and getting involved in the community in ways that you've never done before. But God calls every person that has given their life to him. Something that he wants to do through us or in us or around us because of our faith in him. Father God, would you help us to see you again afresh and anew? Would you remind us of your call on our life? Not that we're saved and going to heaven, but that we're not finished the work of ministry on this earth until we see you face to face. Guide us, Father, to know what you have for us and may we be willing to step out and not just to say we believe, but to act upon that belief. Also, Father, give us the insight that you want us to see through the study of the patriarchs that they were ordinary people, but they had an extraordinary God just as we do. I pray in Christ's name, amen.